0: After they had been in custody for some time, each of the the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, of the king of Egypt, were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief's baker, just as as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So the last time I preached this, my kids were in the thick of elementary school. And one thing we did during those years was listen to audiobooks in the car. And that's where we discovered and fell in love with Lemony Snicket's uh, a series of unfortunate events. They're, they're sort of a parody of 19th century Gothic novels, which is why my kids loved them. No, they that was lost in them, but they still worked. Uh, so like those old Victorian authors, uh, Lemony often addresses the reader, Warning us of the tragedy that's about to unfold. And things always go from bad to worse for the Baudelaire siblings who are, of course, orphans. And, it, and it's funny because during that time, I have a number of sermons that I reference. <laughs> Count Olaf and all those characters. Uh, but new sermon demonstrated my fandom most emphatically uh, as much as this one. The one on this text. Uh, a sermon in which I imagined how Lemony Snicket might have told the story. And I, I tried to run it by, I ran it by Jen. I said, you think this is going to work? And she said, oh, you know what? I think it would work better if it were more of a dialogue. All right, so that's how we're going to do it. Uh, you want to come up to the mic here, honey?
1: So the cupbearer and the baker had strange dreams, which, let's be honest, hardly remarkable Personally, I wonder why people feel compelled to share their dreams. The only thing I can think to say in response is, hmm, strange, which is a way of saying, not interesting, without being rude. That, however, is not what Joseph said in response to these strange dreams. He said, your strange dream predicts the future, specifically the future three days from now. Three days after that, both the cupbearer and the baker must have thought, heavens, this is exactly what that handsome prison mate said would happen. Now, most thoughts are like dreams. Best kept to yourself. This was an exception. If you know someone wallowing away in jail who has the ability to interpret dreams and anticipate future events, speak up. People, specifically people like Pharaoh, find that interesting. After all, it's his birthday. An interpreter of dreams makes a pretty great gift. The baker, of course, did not speak up for good reason. The future predicted for him was, to put it delicately, limited. To Put it bluntly, he was executed as predicted. The dead find it hard to speak up or do much of anything really. That's sort of the essence of being dead. When he was tossed in the clink, the cupbearer had reason to believe he'd share the same fate as the baker, i.e., be dead. But, as Joseph predicted, he was not. When you're alive having thought you'd be dead, you tend to want to do many of the things that the dead can't. Hug a stranger, turn a cartwheel, garnish Pharaoh's drink with a little umbrella, the sky's the limit. The f- which A phrase which means he had more options than I care to list.
0: What's more is we're really only interested in whether he exercised one particular option.
1: Which one? The cartwheel? That'd be tricky with a cup in your hand.
0: Not the cartwheel. The speaking up. Did he speak up about Joseph? Oh,
1: yes, of course. Did, did he speak up? Well, I have some good news and I have bad news. I'll give you a choice.
0: Bad news first.
1: Sorry, I'm giving you the good news first.
0: So what choice are you giving me?
1: To never hear the bad news, just the good news.
0: What's the good news?
1: The cupbearer spoke up.
0: That is good news.
1: So let's just leave it at that.
0: No, I, I want to hear the bad news.
1: Sorry, I'm sorry, we're moving on.
0: I thought I had a choice.
1: I assumed you'd make the right choice. I was wrong, so no, you don't.
0: Can you at least give me a hint?
1: Fine, I suppose I owe you that. The bad news has to do with the timing of it
0: all. The timing of what? Speaking up?
1: Yes, it's not important. What's
0: important is that he did. Hey. Oh, I see. He didn't tell Farrell immediately. Well, that makes sense. Timing is everything when dealing with the despot, especially at a despot's birthday. No doubt there was more on the day's agenda than giving the cupbearer a thumbs up and the baker the thumbs down. It's easy to picture the cupbearer bearing Pharaoh's cup and saying, can I have a word with you, your majesty? And being brushed aside, trying it again later. And now it's, not now, I'm about to blow out my birthday candles. And then, can it wait? I'm about to exact justice on this baker. And then later, hold on. It's my turn to try and and pin the nose on the sphinx. Wish me luck. Yeah, I get it. You're right. Any minute someone is unjustly prisoned, is a minute too long, but let's cut him some slack. The important thing is that the cupbearer is a man of his word, a phrase which here means someone who follows through for imprisoned friends. So is that it?
1: Is that what?
0: Is that the bad news? He didn't get an occasion to tell Pharaoh on Pharaoh's birthday?
1: Well, that's true. He did not tell him on his birthday that year. Well nor on his birthday the next year, nor any of the days in between.
0: Never an occasion?
1: Oh, there were occasions. After all, each of those days included meals. Three a day, plus a snack time, if Pharaoh desired. Meals and snacks washed down with beverages. Beverages require cups. Cups require bears. No, the bad news is not that he found no
0: occasion
1: to tell Pharaoh. The bad news is that he never looked. Not
0: for two years. For two years? Why not? He forgot. All right. So, you know, at this point, Joseph's story is sort of a series of unfortunate events, but it's also more than just a series of unfortunate events. Because it's not just one tragedy after another. I mean, things do take turns for the better. Being being sold into slavery, well, that's unfortunate. Being the slave of Potiphar, that's fortunate. Being the crush of Potiphar's wife, that's unfortunate. Being owed a debt of gratitude by someone with connections to Pharaoh, fortunate. Having your connection to Pharaoh, forget you, unfortunate. So I suppose you could compare Joseph's life to a roller coaster, highs and lows, But what's haunting is not the dramatic ups and downs. It's the fact that there's this two years of nothing. Two years. And it's not really nothing because it's two years in jail. Two years of being forgotten. That's a slow, steady decline. And frankly, I think passage like this gives us an opportunity to reflect on the plight of the imprisoned. Understand that China keeps 1.7 million of its people locked in jail. 1.7 million. And not to be outdone, 2 million Americans are incarcerated. So you got to picture everyone in Phoenix in an orange jumpsuit. And then Add everybody from Cleveland. That's how many people in this country are in jail. And sources differ in terms of which country keeps the largest uh, percentage of their population in jail. Uh, Some have El Salvador on the list. Others say the U.S. But it's uh, El Salvador, Cuba, Turkmenistan, and us sort of leading the way. Now, Turkmenistan is run by an autocrat with absolute power. Uh, violent gangs roam the streets in El Salvador. Cuba is Cuba. and then, But the U.S., why do we have so many? Because I think the language we use is that we're tough on crime. It really is hard to believe that we have incarcerated so many people and I think it's hard for me personally to believe because I don't know anyone in jail because it's not people like me that go to jail. I'm middle class. Jail is really for poor people. And we don't send them to jail to rehabilitate them. We, in the end, we send them there to forget about them because we don't know what to do with them. We don't want to invest in their schools, and we can automate or outsource their jobs, so we just make them go away. Let us forget about you. Now, spoiler alert, Joseph will go from forgotten and unknown to remembered and to Pharaoh's second-in-command. I mean, you could, there could hardly be a greater reversal. And that certainly must have done a good deal to counteract the impact of having been forgotten. But most convicted felons released from prison do not experience that sort of reversal of fortune. On the contrary, they find that the world has simply moved on. And they may want to do the same thing, but having a record makes it easy for employers to toss their application in the recycling bin and we sort of end up forgetting them again. I had a 10th grade religion teacher uh, who I really, really loved. And he reminded us, you know, it's really easy to become preoccupied with being liked, being known, and to wonder why so many kids are so bad at it, why they're so annoying, why they're so unlikable. And he said it's because they know something that the likable kids don't. The worst thing is not being unliked. The worst thing is being invisible. Love me, hate me, just don't ignore me. Loneliness does not bring out our best. In fact, the philosopher Hannah Ardent, who fled Nazi Germany, argued that loneliness is a necessary condition for totalitarianism. She says what, you, what a totalitarian dream, regime, like the Nazis, what they do is they first create a society where institutions are eroded and people begin to distrust each other. And when people who distrust each other tend to be, if you distrust one another, you avoid one another, well, you start becoming lonely. You start feeling forgotten. And then the regime comes in and starts pushing its propaganda. Oh, Join us, you who feel forgotten. Come be with us and feel important. It's interesting to think about that in light of having just come through a pandemic. The rampant loneliness and the radicalized communities that were formed mostly online. You know, it was during this time that we heard more about incels, these Involuntary celibates and their, their misogyny. Uh, I don't, have any of you heard of Andrew Tate? Is that name, does that name ring a bell? Ask somebody in their teens, in early 20s, if they know Andrew Tate. Guy, he, ex-kickboxer, telling everybody that men need to carry swords in the house. I mean, this guy's made millions. Anyway, white supremacy networks and their, their replacement theories. That led to shootings at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, Uh, the grocery store in Buffalo, the Walmart in El Paso. It could go on, but it'd be too depressing. The fact is, I realize this sermon has taken a dark turn. We start with this sort of playful beginning, and then I'm here with the mass shootings. And the fact is, true, that in this story, despite having been forgotten, by the cupbearer and left in jail. Joseph is not radicalized, even though he's recruited to work for a totalitarian regime, the pharaoh. But the text provides us some hints as to how it was that Joseph avoided being radicalized, becoming bitter. Um, You know, when he's sold into slavery by his brothers, his world is undone. All the sources that gave him his sense of value are taken from him. Everything that provided that is stripped from him the way that fancy coat is stripped from him. Before this, he had been sort of oblivious to his own arrogance. Uh, and, and suddenly he's confronted, oh my gosh, my brothers hate me. You know, He had been gleefully sharing his egomaniacal dreams ratting out his brothers to his debt, and all of a sudden now he's realized what that has reaped him. And Genesis does not describe what happens in Joseph's head after that, like what's going on with him, but it's clear something does change in him. There is sort of a conversion that must have happened. Uh, When he's hauled off by these slave traders, it never says that Joseph then knew that he needed God, but somehow he did know that. And it is that relationship that begins to define him. So that when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him, he perceives her not as a temptation, but as a threat. How can I sin against God? And when the cupbearer finally alerts Pharaoh that he knows someone who interprets dreams, Joseph makes clear to Pharaoh, as he did with the baker and the cupbearer, that he doesn't interpret dreams God interprets dreams, and he receives those interpretations from God. You know, again, we're nearing the end of Genesis, and he really is, Joseph is sort of a unique character in this book in terms of his relationship with God, because it's easy to see Abraham. Abraham clearly demonstrates faith, but he's as much motivated by the desire for offspring uh, and for land. And Jacob too treats God as sort of a business partner. But for Joseph, that relationship isn't a means to something else. It is what he values. He is, in a sense, like Jacob at Jacob's best moment, where Jacob has his arms around God and won't let go. Joseph won't let go, not when he's tempted. Now, when he has an opportunity to trumpet some talents, no. You know this essay by about uh, Hannah Arendt that I read that talked about loneliness and totalitarianism. It discussed the history of the word loneliness, and apparently, previous to the 19th century, lonely only referred to uh, being. All by yourself, you they would talk about a lonely place. It just meant you were there, and there's no one else there. It's only in the nineteenth century when we have industrialization and the growth of cities that loneliness moves from being a geographic reference to a existential experience to a feeling, a state of mind. You feel lonely. And today, of course, there are few, Lonely places in the old sense of the word. The world is more crowded than it's ever been. It has never been any, e- it's never been easier to stay in contact. I mean, wherever I am, uh, you can call me, email me, text me, message me via messenger, WhatsApp, Twitter, Instagram. I and mean, we all are so connected and yet loneliness is rampant. Back in chapter two, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. No, it's not. He gets fearful. As we learned this past week, a lonely man will will, will shoot somebody who accidentally comes knocking on his door. A lonely person is an easy recruit for a radical totalitarian agenda. And at a time when most churches are in decline, some of the churches that are experiencing explosive growth are ones pushing radical conspiracy theories. What's needed in such a time is a place like this. Places where you know that no matter who you are or where you are on life's roller coaster, you are welcome. You are known. You are not forgotten. In the name of the Father